morning. I can't wait for that day. Man, the longer I'm in this world, the longer I realize I just don't fit in. It's just not quite home. I can't wait for the day we get to be home in heaven with the Lord. And you think about that. I love that second verse. There's going to be no more sorrow, no more sickness, no pain. But the, the part I love about that, and forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day. That doesn't excite you. I don't know if you're born again. That could be the problem. And uh, I tell you, I'm ready to see the Lord whenever he's ready. Even so, come Lord Jesus. My bags are packed. My ticket's been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and I'm ready to go. If you're here this morning and you're not ready to go, you might not have your bags all packed, and you might not have the ticket paid for by Jesus. So you get that sell before you leave today. The Lord is so good to us. Let's take our Bibles today to Mark chapter number 10. We've been in Mark a long time, and we still got a long ways to go. And uh, Mark chapter number 10, we're going to go down to verse 35 there in just a minute. Gage and Eric, I saw you guys come in today. I miss you guys. I used to have to see you every single day, and now I only see you once a week. And then you guys come in late, so I don't even get to see you the full time. And so it's always so funny, because Gage and Eric always walk in first, and you see... You see, mom looks to see where they're going, and then they're always near the front. And uh, if you come early, the back seats are open still. So you like the front? That's good. I'm glad someone does, because not many people like the No one likes the front front. You go to a concert, you go somewhere. Some people like the front front, but not, not in church. And uh, I try not to, I, you know, at SeaWorld, they have that splash zone. I try not to splash that much as I preach, but it's, yeah. Second row, you're still in Target there just a little bit. Mark chapter number 10. This morning, we're going to read these verses, and then we're going to go back and think on a few thoughts, and then we're going to get through these verses today. Mark 10, go down to verse 35. It'll help us to put in context what we talked about last week, but we'll do that in a few minutes. We're going to start at verse number 35 and read through verse 45 today. If my fingers would turn the pages, there we go. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? And they said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on thy right hand and the other on thy left in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can that's crazy, their response. It's even crazy they're talking about this after what Jesus just talked about. But we keep on reading. It says, And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized, with all shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. 
In all reality, verse 45 right there is basically, it sums up the entire book of Mark in one verse. We didn't have to do this long series. I could just use that one verse and it could explain the whole book to you. For the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Father, bless the next few minutes that we have this morning. We need you. We love you. We thank you for your word. Thank you for the awesome privilege to be able to preach your word. Bless the time we have today. I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit. I also pray for those listening that you'd fill them with your spirit. I pray if there's someone not saved in the room this morning that you would convict them so that they can get saved this morning. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to make the assumption this morning, and I'm going to assume this, that most of us, and I would say all in this room, want to serve the Lord. I would think if you've been saved and after all that the Lord's done for you, I would think that there is a desire in each of our hearts to serve God. Now, this morning, if there is no desire inside of you, I would make sure first off that you're saved. Because the love of Christ and all that he's done, it constrains me. I want to serve him. But the problem is, even though we want to serve the Lord and be a servant, it doesn't come natural to us. We are not others-centered. We are self-centered. That's how we are because of sin. You know, when our children start growing up at a young age, I've never had to teach my children how to take a toy from another kid or from another sibling. I've never had to teach them to say, that's mine. I've never had to teach them that. It comes natural. But you do have to teach them how to share. And they still are learning that process. And there's a lot of adults that still haven't learned that process completely. And the problem is, because of sin and the old nature in us, we are self-centered. We like to please ourselves. We want us to be taken care of and to be happy. As a Christian, that's not how it's supposed to be. We need to be others-centered. Now, when we look at the passage today, and I'm going to dive in here in just a moment, let me just think about James and John for a minute. James and John are good men. They are good men. I would say they're probably better Christians than any one of us in this room. I'm just going to say it. They left their profession, and they followed Jesus Christ. On top of that, they were two of the inner circle. I really think Peter, James, and John were that inner circle. So James and John, they had a close relationship, and John is known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. These are good men. So before we get too hard on these good men here in just a moment, I want you to understand, just as they can fall into the trap of trying to satisfy self and have self-centeredness in their life, I want you to also realize this morning, we can fall for that same trap. Jesus just finished in the verses before here explaining that they were going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man would be delivered to the chief priests and to the scribes. You can see right there in verse 33 and 34, and that he'd be condemned to death, and they would deliver him to the Gentiles, to Pilate. They would mock him and scourge him and spit upon him and kill him, and the third day he shall rise again. Jesus just gets done explaining in detail how it's all going to play out. In all reality, if they would have just taken some notes, there is no excuse why they weren't there at the tomb. 
They knew what was going to take place. They knew where he was buried, and he said three days later, and the Bible tells us that not till after he wrote, then they remembered. Man, when we're going through a trial and going through a struggle, it do us good to remember the things of God as we go through it, not after the fact. That's not even the message this morning. That was extra. The first time Jesus tried to explain to them what was going to take place, Peter steps up and says, Not so, Lord. Not going to happen. Now, it, I don't understand how you can use Lord and no in the same sentence. Because if you're saying he's Lord, sovereign of all, that means he's in control of all things. So how do you tell the one in control of all things no? But we do it often, don't we? It's been many times in my life, Lord, I won't do that. And the Lord says, yes, you will. The second time Jesus tries to tell them, the Bible says that they disputed among themselves. Mark chapter 9, verse 34. But they held their peace, for by the way they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. The first time Peter speaks up, the second time they're disputing who the greatest should be, and Jesus just tells them what's going to happen to him. And as we dive in from here, what do we see? We see the two sons of Zebedee. The sons of thunder. We could call them mama's boys in a minute because we'll talk about their mom here in just a minute as well. But as we look here, Jesus just talks about all that's going to take place. But as he does this, we see... There's one other example I want to give you before we dive into the message. After the Last Supper, Luke chapter 22. Or is it Luke 19? Yeah, Luke 22 verse 24. This was after they partook of the Lord's Supper. This do in remembrance of me. And there was also a strife among them. Which of them should be accounted the greatest? So what this tells us is they didn't learn in the three times. They still had this issue. These great guys. So this morning in the message, what I want to do is, if these great men could struggle with being self-centered, and not being others focused what do we need and what can we learn from this passage today to help us to have the attitude of a true servant number one you gotta check your motives you gotta check your motives the bible gives us a clear picture of what's taking place here in mark chapter number ten in matthew in the book of matthew the bible tells us in chapter twenty then came to him the mother of zebedee's children with her sons now look at what it says. What were they doing when they came to him? They were worshiping him. Why were they worshiping him? They desired a certain thing of him. You see that right there? They had a motive behind coming to the Lord. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She said unto him, Grant to these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand, and the other on the left in thy kingdom. Now look at Mark where we're at, chapter 10, and look at what it says. So they said in verse 35, the sons of Zebedee coming to him saying, Master, we would that thou shouldst do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What wilt ye that I should do for you? And they said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on the right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. Mom says the same thing that the boys say. They had thought on this. 
This was, they were going to ask the Lord for this request. And as we look at this and we think about it, Jesus has just said, I'm going to suffer. All these things are going to take place. And they were consumed with being on the right and left hand of the Lord. They came and worshipped him, desiring something of him. Hey, this morning, as we serve the Lord, what is your motive behind serving God today? Say, oh, I serve the Lord so he'll bless me. That's a motive that some people have. Oh, I give to God because he'll give back to me. Oh, I read my Bible because I want to be blessed by God. Or I, I pray because I need God's help. Those are motives. A lot of motives that we Christians have oftentimes. You know, the Lord doesn't want you to pray to him because you want something from him. He doesn't want you to worship him this morning because you want to ask a request of him. He wants us to get to the point in our lives where he is enough and we need nothing else. Well, sometimes I think we look at the blessings and the benefits of God and we look at those and we want those more than we want the Lord. Hey, why did you pray this morning? Why did you read your Bible today? Oh, I want God's blessing. Oh, God's looking for his children to just be like, no, I just needed time with you. I just want to talk to you. I need you. You know, sometimes I, I look through our church prayer app and I pray for the prayer requests that come in. But sometimes I think we go like the disciples did here to the Lord and be like, Lord, I love you and you're awesome, but I need this. Will you grant my wish? Like a genie, you rub a little lamp. Three wishes. That's how we treat our God. When you think about it in your life, there are people, maybe it's children, whatever the case may be, that you don't ever hear from them, you don't talk to them often, but when they need something, they're there. They call. You might not hear from them for a long time, and, hey, how are you doing? And you're thinking in your mind, they need something. They don't just see how I'm doing when everything's fine. They don't just call and say, hey, mom and dad, how are you doing? They don't just drop by for a visit because they just love to visit with me. They're doing this because they want something. We do that a lot with God. God, I need this. And in all reality, all you need is God. And the day in the Christian life, you can realize all the other stuff is fluff. And praise God if he'll bless you for reading his word. And praise God if he'll bless you for giving. Praise God if he blesses you for serving. But I don't pray because I want God's blessing or because I need something. I need to talk to him. I need to hear from him. As I need breath in my lungs to breathe, I need God. I go to his word not because I need a I need his word. I need to hear from God. It would do us all a great service in this Christian life when we get to the point where we just need God and not all the benefits and everything else. What's your motive? Why do you serve? Why do you sing? Why do you do whatever the case may be, whatever you do? We got to check our motives. The mom is here as well. Her name is Salome. You'll see that name mentioned later on in the other Gospels. It's mentioned as well. She's one of those that were there at the tomb. Some believe that she might even been Jesus' aunt. And that somehow they're all related somewhere through there. I'm not going to say that's the exact fact because we're going with what the Bible says. But it's interesting to me 
You think about this. What was her motive? She loved her children. Parents, a little word of caution for you right here. Sometimes we get in our minds what we think is best for our kids and what our kids need and what they need to do. And we tell God, this is what I want my kids to do. This is what needs to happen. They're his kids. Where was the question here, Lord? What do you want my sons to do? That's a much better question than, Lord, hey, grant this to me. And sometimes, parents, we make a big mistake because we make our children think the world wraps around them and all that they want to do. The world doesn't wrap around us in our happiness. It doesn't. Problems come. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. We're almost there. But as we look here, what's your motive this morning? Why do you serve the Lord? Why do you usher? Why do you come to church? Why do you do whatever the case may be? What is the motive behind it? We see that they ask the Lord for this request. And as we look at these things and we go deeper into it and we think about it, they were all about themselves. Where was the question, hey, Lord, you're going to suffer. What do you want us to do during that time? What's your plan for us? What can we do to help? Lord, could you do this for us? I know you're, you got stuff you're worried about, but I want to sit on your right hand, and John wants to sit on your left hand. Or, you know, we really don't care. John could be on the right, and I could be on the left. We just want to be right here. And when we look at that and we think about it, they wanted the power, they wanted the prestige. It wasn't about being close to Jesus, because they were already part of the inner circle. They wanted what came from that. I'll hear it often, and one of the reasons why we start our teams around here, I'll hear people often, am I in charge? Am I in charge? I want to be in charge. I will give you a little thought right here. If you want to be the person in charge, you're probably not going to be the one in charge, okay? Normally the ones who don't want to be in charge are the best ones to be in charge. But if your whole goal, and, so, and there are people that way, they just, I want to be in charge. If that's your motive to serve, that's a bad motive. We serve because of all that the Lord's done. And we love Him because He first loved us. We've got to check our motives. Some thoughts when we think about that this morning is, some questions you could ask yourself today, why am I doing this? Ask yourself, don't say it out loud, but ask yourself this morning, why am I at church today? Ask yourself that question. What am I here for? Just some thoughts, think on it. Who am I trying to impress? Because that's the thing with motives. It's so easy for our motives to get out of whack. One moment our motive could be just to please the Lord, and then someone says, oh, you did a great job with that special, and then we're thinking, well, who else can I impress with my special? That's with motives. They get out of whack quick. Check your motives. What? Why do you do what you do? Are you doing it for God's glory? Or are you doing it for recognition for yourself? If we're going to become true servants of the Lord, number one, we've got to check our motives. Number two, we've got to plan for problems. There's going to be problems. As you serve the Lord, problems are going to come. And sometimes they come 
in a wave of problems, and sometimes they come slowly. But you've got to plan for problems. We look at our text here, and as we continue on, look at verse 38. But Jesus said unto them, no, Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? What he's really saying is, and I'll put it in English today, you don't know what you're asking for. You have no clue what you're asking for by wanting to be on my right and left hand. And we see, and when we think about you look at that verse there, it says, can you drink of the cup that I drink of? He didn't have a coffee mug in his hand say, hey, can you drink the coffee I'm drinking? And some of you, I couldn't drink the coffee you drink. It's way too dark for me, okay? I saw someone the other day, they had the different colors of coffee. And which one are you? And mine is still white. It's, it's a little bit, it's, a, it's getting a little bit more brown, but it's still more white than it is. Yeah, it's like that color. Like, that's exactly it. It's not gotten to Felix's color yet. And I don't know if it's going to. So, yes, some of you in this room, I could not drink your coffee, okay? But that, he wasn't talking about a cup of coffee here. He was talking about the cup of suffering that he was going to drink. In Matthew 26, he talks about this cup. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. This cup stood for the judgment of God that was going to come upon Jesus for the sins of mankind. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 51, 17, Awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem, which has drunk of the hand of the Lord the cup of his fury. Thou has drunken the dregs of the cup of trembling and wrung them out. When the Lord talks about a cup, the cup stood for God's wrath and judgment coming. You know, we look at last week's text, and we see all that Jesus physically was going to go through. But it didn't go into all the details of what he was going to bear on him. He took, he became our substitute. The substitutionary atonement. That's a good doctrine to know. He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God imputed to Jesus Christ all of our sin. And God punished him. And the wrath, God's wrath was poured on Jesus Christ on the cross. That's the cup of suffering he's talking about. And he says, can you drink of the cup that I got to drink? And their answer, we can. They had no clue what he was talking about. The Bible tells us in Romans 3, verse 25 and 26, whom God has set to be the propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. They said, Lord, we can we can. We can drink that cup. But look at what the Lord says in verse 39. Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of. And with the baptism that I am baptized with all shall ye be baptized. They wanted glory. But Jesus tells them, you're going to suffer some problems along the way. Hey, there's going to be some suffering. Hey, Lord, grant to us that we can sit on your right and left hand. Hey, we want the power, we want the prestige, we want the glory. And Jesus like, glory doesn't come without a price. Doesn't come without a price. Hey, can you drink that cup? Can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And we don't like to think of it in advance, but you've got to understand something today. 
Suffering is a part of the Christian life. Problems come in the Christian life. Sometimes we have this American Christianity idea that we're never going to suffer. There's never going to be a hard time. That is not the Christian life. Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Philippians 1.29, the Bible says, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. But we live in Christianity today, and oh, I just didn't have enough money to get my Starbucks this week, so the world's awful! I'm suffering for Jesus today! That's not suffering today. We have it so good. And let me be honest with you this morning. I do not know why we have it so good. Why should we not be persecuted and suffer for the sake of Christ? Look at the disciples. They gave up their lives. Hey, Jesus said, indeed, you will drink of this cup. James was beheaded. John was boiled in oil, and he didn't die, and they took him and banished him to the island of Patmos to die alone. It wasn't Gilligan's Island. There wasn't all this fun stuff on the island for him. He was meant to die there alone, never to be heard of again. But there was a man called Jesus that came to him there and gave him the book of Revelation. But they suffered. They did drink of the cup. Peter was crucified upside down. Some were torn asunder. All these things. And we live Christianity today. And all the government says you can't go to church today. So I guess I'll listen. I don't want to get fined. Shame on us. They're going to be beaten, killed. And we're not willing to even stand up and go to church. We have a soft, weak Christianity today. And I tell you, the closer we get to the Lord coming, the harder it's going to get. Persecution's going to come. We'll see who the true Christians are. We'll see. Oh, government says don't go to church. My Bible says go to church. God wins. He wins. Sorry, Governor Newsom, you lose. I'll do my best to obey the laws of the land when I can, but you go against my Bible, you're wrong. And I think, uh, us as Christians, this is a little side note here. Our governor lately is really pushing this thing about abortion rights in this state. More Christians need to be praying for his salvation. God could change that man's heart and change that. He could. If he could do it to Nebuchadnezzar, he could do it to Gavin Newsom. Because don't tell me he's a saved man and he has the beliefs he does. Don't tell me that. And if he is, then we need to pray that God gets him right with him. Pray for him. Pray for our president. Pray for those in authority. Oh, the Bible talks about that, doesn't it? But it's only going to get harder. We live in a soft Christianity today. Why did they have it so bad and we have it so good? We don't deserve it good. And persecution is going to come. As you follow the Lord and the attitude of a servant, you've got to realize this. You've got to check your motives. Why do you do what you do? Second thing you've got to realize is problems are going to come. Plan for them. It's going to happen. If you serve the Lord, there's going to be problems. Not everyone's going to pat you on the back after you preach every message. There will be those who are ready to throw a stone at you when you walk out. It's the way it goes. Oh, everything's just going to be It's not always going to be wonderful. Just plan there's going to be problems going to happen. We keep on reading and we see that Jesus even said there to them, 
he mentions the cup. And not only, you think about this, doesn't mention the cup is not only the suffering he went through, it was about being faithful to the end of the suffering. He drank his cup. He finished it. That's why he cried on the cross, it is finished. And the disciples, James and John, they finished what he called them to do. They finished it. You've got to plan for problems. They're going to happen. And verse 40 tells us there, but to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. You see, today, you're not guaranteed what position you're going to have. We were talking, Carl and I were talking last service. I love how people like to throw Bible out. And someone at one of her meetings was throwing out one of the parables. And you can make a, you can twist a parable to mean whatever you want it to mean. But the parable that she was mentioning was the man that went out and hired laborers. And there were some that worked from 6 o'clock in the morning, and they got, they got a set wage that they were going to get. Well, the guy realized all the grapes weren't going to get picked, so he sent them back out. To, he went and got more people. He went down to the local Home Depot, picked up a few more guys, came back, and at 9 o'clock in the morning, he hired a few more and gave them the same amount he gave everyone else. He hired some. He hired guys right an hour before dark. At the end, he gets ready to give those guys that came an hour before their money, and he gives them whatever the money was. We'll say 20 bucks. And those who had been there all day were thinking to themselves, I'm going to get more because I worked way harder. And then he gave them 20 bucks. He gave what he promised. Sometimes you think, well, I do all this for the Lord. I'm going to have great benefits. You get to be with him forever. There are crowns that we get to have, but the crowns aren't so you can post them in your mansion. There's not a mantle for your crowns in heaven. Where you get to, you know, how people mount things. Oh, this was my crown for doing this. No, you're going to take your crowns and you're going to cast them at Jesus' feet. Get ready for problems. Number three, edify others first. The attitude of a servant. We've got to check our motives. After we check our motives, we need to plan for problems, and then we need to edify others first. If we look at verse 41, it says, And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. Isn't that nice that the disciples were coming to Jesus' side? Come on, James and John, how could you ask the Lord that question? He's telling us he's going to die, and you guys are concerned about yourselves, and you're not concerned about, no, 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 no. I wish that was the case. Who do they think they are that they get to be on the right and left hand? Probably had Peter thinking, I'm part of the inner circle. Is three a crowd, three too many? Or the three amigos? The three stooges, whatever the case may be. No, just them two. The other ten, look at these guys asking that question. Yeah, the Bible makes it clear that before this, all of them were thinking the same thing. The Bible makes it clear later on, they were all thinking the same thing. Isn't it funny how when people do the same sin that we do, we look at them and we want to judge them and we get upset with them, but when the sin's in our own life, we, don't ha we have a hard time being mad at ourselves? It's right here, they're just pleased with these two. Guys, I can't believe you would do this. But chapter 9, they were doing the same thing. Later on, they're going to all be doing the same thing again. It's so much easier to look at someone else's sin and be like, Felix, you shouldn't be doing that. Instead of looking in the mirror and being like, oh, I shouldn't be doing that either. 
as we look at that and we see this, I love what Jesus does. Aren't you? I'm just so glad he's so patient, long suffering. Aren't you? Man, I would have taken, I would taken James and John, and I'd be like, guys, just go. I don't even want to see you right now. Uh, you guys, ugh, you just get me upset. All of you, I'm telling you what's going to happen, and this is what you do. But that's not what Jesus does. He says, guys, look at the next verse. But Jesus called them to him. He gets them in close. Hey, guys, guys, come here. Come here. He doesn't lambast James and John. He doesn't get after the other ten. He's like, guys, come here. When the strife and the conflicts arise, what did Jesus do? He pulled them near him. Let me give you a little thought. You're having a hard time with someone and there's strife and conflict in your life. Why don't the two of you go to Jesus and ask him for help? Well, how would that be? You're having a hard time with someone. You're like, hey, let's go pray. Yeah, then we're going to start praying. Then they're going to stab me in the back with that knife. Just don't do it in here. Our carpet's nice. I really don't want blood in here. Um, but that's what Jesus does. He pulls them in. And then what Jesus does is he sets and tells them some things about the way. He mentions the Gentiles. Hey, this is the way the world works. This is the way the pagans live. Keep on reading there in verse 42. But Jesus called them to him, saying to them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But look at what he says. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. And as we look at this and we see this before our eyes, we think about these things. Jesus says, hey, this is how the world does it. Hey, the Gentiles, what the way that this works is you run over and you take down whoever you have to to get to the top so you can be the top guy. You don't care about anybody else. You, the whole goal of this world is to move up and to be the very best. It's not about making others better. It's about you being great. You promoting yourself. That's what this world does. That's the world system. If you've got to take someone down so you can get higher, do it. Just collateral damage, it'll all be okay. That's the way the world works. But look at what Jesus said. Look at that phrase there. He says, but so shall it not be among you. A Christ follower should not operate that way. As we look at that, it shall not be that way for a Christian. Or it could say, it must not be. In the family of God, there are no higher-ups. There are no low-lifes. There's only one category. It's called a servant. Hey, you notice Paul all through his epistles. How does he start out? Hey, I'm an apostle. I've written all these letters. I've done all these things. No, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. There's only one title we all need. It's that title of servant. And when we think about servant, the word servant is used for a table waiter. And it's the root word for a deacon. It means one who waits and serves others. If the disciples wanted to be leaders in God's kingdom, they first had to edify and build up others. They were worried at this time about building themselves up. And we have a lot of Christians today, they're worried about building themselves up or they come to church. Who's going to minister to me? Who's going to take care of this? Who's going to do that? But in the Lord's kingdom, that's not how it works. The greatest is the servant of all. You say that in this world? You think about a slave? Would a slave be the greatest in the world? 
No, you wouldn't want to be a slave. But what does the Bible say? Being the servant, that is the greatest thing of all you could be. You've got to edify others, build them up. If they wanted to be great and want to be leaders in God's kingdom, they had to learn to edify others. What is a servant? It's someone whose heart is intent upon and whose will is bound to the will and wishes of another. If I'm your servant, then what you say goes. Think about this. There's a song in our songbook. I've never sang it any time I've ever pastored, and I probably will never sing it. A volunteer for Jesus. It's funny. We'll have people come around church that serve. And we had a while back someone doing the yards and things. And there was something that wasn't done, so I went and said, hey, um, could we do this a little differently? Well, I'm just a volunteer. You do it. Okay. And others, I, I'm just a volunteer. Let me ask you this morning. Are you a volunteer for Jesus, or are you a servant? There's a difference between the two. But most Christians live their life like a volunteer. Think about this. A volunteer picks and chooses when and even whether to serve. A servant serves no matter what. A volunteer serves when it's convenient. A servant goes out and fulfills a commitment. Someone said it well like this. The servant does what he is told when he is told to do it. The volunteer does what he wants to do when he feels like doing it. Jesus didn't call you to be a volunteer. He redeemed us to be servants. One of the best examples in the Bible of what a servant's attitude should be comes from Psalm 123, verse number 2. And Joe, you don't need to do the next slide because that, it's only this one that needs to be needed on this one. And so I found that out last service. When you do a service twice, you get to see when there's errors on the screens. Behold, as the eyes of the servant look upon the hand of their masters, as the eyes of the maiden upon the hands of her mistress, so the eyes, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until that he have mercy upon us. You see what a servant does? They look to their master. What do you want me to do? How can I serve you? A servant doesn't look at himself and be like, who's going to serve me? It's a clear example of what we're supposed to do here in the scripture. You see, a true servant is one who's learned to subdue the thoughts of themselves and are willing to do the will of their master. Think about this. This is a good principle to live by. If we truly want to become great, then we must give up our personal rights and serve others. That makes no sense in this world today. But that's how Jesus said it. Think about this. Jesus defined a servant's job in Luke 17.10. He said, do you have Luke 17.10? Joe's falling asleep back there. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Are you a servant today or are you a volunteer? Christ needs servants. Hey, to get this attitude, what do we got to do? We got to check our motives. 
You've got to plan for problems. You've got to get your eyes off yourself and learn to build others up. Hey, when you came to church today, do you realize there's a room full of people and there's a lot of problems in this room? I'm not calling you problems, but you know what I mean. You have problems in your life. I think you understand what I'm saying. Have you ministered or reached out to anyone saying in this room today? Or do you walk in the door, I'm waiting for someone to minister and encourage me? A servant looks around the room and says, I think so-and-so's having a hard day. I'm going to go be nice to them. Hey, you want to go get a cup of coffee after church? You want to talk? Let's encourage one another. If we're going to have this attitude of servanthood, we need lastly today to follow the example of Jesus. The Bible makes it clear, the last verse, verse 45, for the Son of Man, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus didn't come to have his needs fulfilled. The Bible tells us the Son of Man didn't even have a place to put his head Son of man, where was his home? He was born in a manger. He was on the road three years. He went out of his way to go to Samaria. The woman at the well. He went out of his way to minister to her. He went out of his way to find that maniac in Gadara and to minister to him. Hey, he went out of his way to go up to Tyre and Sidon and help those people up there. Hey, he went out of his way to do all these things. And in fact, he says he's going to Jerusalem. And next week, Lord willing, we'll see how he heals a man on his way to Jerusalem. Because he didn't come to be ministered unto. He came to minister. He came to give his life. The Bible says a ransom. That word ransom, as we look at that word there, it has to do with the price for redeeming or freeing slaves or prisoners. He came to give his life a ransom for us. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 2, verse 5 and 6, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. He paid the price, and in exchange, we're set free. We give him our rottenness in exchange for his righteousness. He set the ultimate example. As we close this morning, I want to give you four quick thoughts, four applications about being a servant. Number one, serve whenever you can. Serve whenever you can. Hey, if there's an opportunity, step up and take it. Hey, if something needs done, do it. And let me just encourage you today. I'm so thankful for my parents. We did it together as a family. Parents, parents, listen up. You're going to really hurt your kids if you don't teach them to serve others. And the best way to do it is right alongside you. My mom taught Sunday school for years. Every Saturday, I was in the car with her as she went and visited those kids in her class every week. She was, she was avid about it. We get ice cream afterwards at uh, Thrifty. 39 cents for one scoop. I saw yesterday or the day before one ninety nine for one scoop. Crazy. And I think the scoop was bigger back then too. Or it's because I was so small, it looked bigger. It was bigger. One ninety nine. That's just crazy. That's showing my age right there. Thirty nine cent scoops, I remember. Some of you are like, I remember when it was five cents, yeah. 
Yeah, that was a little bit. You heard, that was that was a little bit before my time. So I had someone last service tell me they got saved 37 years ago, and I'm like, I wasn't even born yet. And so I'm still I'm still kind of young, but serve whenever you can. My dad, he was the bus mechanic at our church. We had buses that pick up children every week. Every Saturday, his day off, he was there fixing buses. I would be on there sweeping the buses out, sitting in the driver's seat, pretending to drive it. And uh, we served together. My parents taught me the importance of serving in church. Serve whenever you can. If your goal is never to serve and always get out of things, I think you're more of a volunteer than you are a servant. Serve whenever you can. Number two, serve wherever you can. Serve wherever you can. The bathroom needs clean, clean it. Food for Life Ministries needs someone to go bag some rice, go bag some rice. The rescue mission in L.A. needs someone to do something, go do it. The trash needs picked up in the yard, do it. Serve wherever you can. Say, but I want the big position. Didn't we just talk about that? We did just talk about that. None of us should be too big to empty a trash can. None of us should be too big to clean a toilet. The day your pastor's too big to clean a toilet is the day you need to get a new pastor. I can say that because I cleaned the toilet last week. So, Let's serve wherever you can. Number three, serve whoever is in need. doesn't matter who they are. Serve them. Say, but that person doesn't do any of us deserve anything. Just be honest with no, we don't. That person's never, you never know. Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't give up on you? Don't give up on people. But also be smart in what you do. Like I got people that'll come around, and it's so funny. It used to be Pastor Cruz was here for 38 years. So first few years of pastoring people would come by, they'd be like, Pastor Cruz used to help me every time I needed something. I'm like, yeah. And I know someday the next pastor will be, Pastor Brian helped me with everything. I try to help people when I can. A while back, a lady came by, and she's like, Pastor Brian, I need food. Okay. I said, food to eat right now or food for, oh, for my kids at home? Okay. So let's go to Staters right down the street. Just meet me there. We'll fill up stuff in your cart, and I'll get you food. She's like, no, I need money for food. I'm like, no, I'm going to buy you food. No, I need money. Then you really don't need food. And I'm wise on those things. I just don't give people cash. That's not a wise thing to do. If someone, they need a meal, Go buy them a meal. Help them out. Go get them food. Do what you can. Help people. Serve people. And it doesn't matter if they don't smell as good as you do. It doesn't matter how clean they are. Jesus wants us to love and take care of and serve all people. Because Jesus, the only clean person in the whole entire world, came and lived among scum. He came and lived among us. There's no one we shouldn't be willing to serve. And number four, and lastly, be willing to do whatever it takes. You know the disciples' attitude? We can! We can! That's a great attitude, but they didn't even know what they were saying. But I will tell you this, they did do whatever it took. And they gave the ultimate sacrifice for their Savior. They got it figured out. It just took a while. So let's get it figured out now so we can live our lives today and serve him today. Because the day is coming when no man can work. And we need to do what Jesus said. I got to do the works of him that sent me while it is day. Because that night's coming. It's getting closer. Let's serve him today. Let's get our motives right. 
plan for problems. Let's lift up others and let's follow the example that Jesus set for us. Father, we thank you for the time that we've had this morning in your word. We thank you for your faithfulness and we thank you for the truths of your word. You're so good to us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for this passage of scripture. And thank you for, thank you for your patience and your long-suffering with the disciples. Thank you for your patience and long-suffering with me. I need it and I'm grateful for it. Pray you bless your people. Help us today. Work in each of our lives and each of our hearts. Bless our invitation this morning. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.